You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, ecstatic, excellent, exciters, and exclaimers. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 68. And I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your great grinning group who graze on griddle cakes and grits. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. Uh, we're going to start the show with a chain of, um, actually. Yes, we have uh, two, um, actuallys. Oh, a double header. I recently talked about the marathon and we got a lot of, a lot of Facebook messages and tweets and emails about uh, controversial meaty history of standardizing the length. Of marathons, and, and I only briefly talked about commemorating the, the Greek event, but there's a whole bunch of Olympic hoopla. In that episode, I mentioned that the marathon actually came from an historic event, or maybe it was legendary or, or mythical or fabled event, where a Greek soldier during the Battle of Marathon was sent to run all the way to Athens to deliver the news that the Persians have been defeated. We we may have left you with the impression that the length of the the running was based on, you know, the length, the distance between those two cities. It's not the exact right. length. It's just commemorating that run. When it was reinstated as an Olympic event, it, the distance sort of varied from Olympics to Olympics yeah. for a while. And, uh... So we're 22s. Some were 24.8, yeah. some were 26.01, and they varied. But uh, as uh, some of our listeners wrote in and pointed out, there is the fun part of... It was in the 1908 Olympics in London that they had agreed the length was going to be uh, about 40 kilometers, 26 miles, and that was from Windsor Castle into the stadium. So they would start the castle and in the stadium. They added an extra lap basically, so they could finish the race in front of the royal box. Aww. And so that's sort of where the uh, the point two now is attributed to, as, uh, as several listeners pointed out. That darn that's point two. Yeah. It's like you run 26 miles, and you're like, oh my god, I still have like oh, a fifth. Well, you're like, but I see the queen. She's right over there. Just gotta, <laughs> gotta make it to the queen. I gotta impress her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In our second, um, actually, well, we joked about snakes in our last episode. We had a trivial pursuit question, and it was, uh, which one of these snakes is not a consumer? Constrictor snake, and turns out it was the water moccasin. And Chris, you joke that it'd be hard to constrict in the water because it's all slippery and stuff. Sure. Uh, which is not necessarily true. Someone did write in to tell us that water provides a good measure of camouflage for oh. constricting snakes. So, so constrictors do sometimes hide out in the water because you can't oh. see them. Man, Trixie. Mm-hmm. A former herpetologist, Andy, uh, he actually wrote in, and this is something I actually never really thought about. When we talk about constricting snakes, uh-huh. you know, we always assume the prey that's being squeezed would run out of breath and that's how they die. Right. That's not necessarily how uh, it might work. Hmm. Um, so the current line of thinking is that constrictors apply so much pressure that the prey's heart is not strong enough to pump the blood against the pressure. And so what happens is the animal, instead of suffocating, actually goes into cardiac arrest. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, there you go. Well, another classic example of getting to the right answer the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of Trivial Pursuit, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. (laughs) All right, Blue Wedge for Geography. What is both a city in Virginia and a hipster neighborhood in Brooklyn? Uh, Colin. Uh, Williamsburg? Yes, yeah. correct. <laughs> and you actually lived in Brooklyn. I, I did, it. I did. <laughs> what a 
weird triple That's a ch- that was I thought you made yeah. that up. No, no. Oh, huh. It's printed Funny. right here. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Pink wedge. Who was the frog that promoted sugar smacks? Oh. What is uh, his name? Diggum. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. All right. Next question. What <laughs> what product does Vince <laughs> Shlomi claim will make you say wow every time? Oh. <laughs> Chris, your favorite. <laughs> Just the sham wow. Sham wow. It's like Are you a- getting this camera guy? <laughs> <laughs> okay, a purple wedge. What unusual utensil is deployed in the Edward Lear poem, The Owl and the Pussycat? I'll give you a million dollars, whoever gets this. The Owl and the Pussycat oh. went to scene. Very specific. Oh, man. Spork. Incorrect. It is a... A rolling pin, right? A runcible oh, no. spoon. Oh. Um, runcible? Runcible. I don't runcible even know what spoon. kind of spoon. Oh, I wonder. Me mm. either. Are those the spoons with the slot in it? Is that uh, what is that is? Is that a grapefruit spoon? Mm-hmm. I don't know. A runcible. That's what I thought. Maybe it's the grapefruit one with the jagged edges on the top. So it would be a or... spork? <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not. Like a, it's not like a fork. It's like a, a knife. A, a spoon spife. knife. Oh. Yeah. A spoon knife. A spoon knife. Colin's looking it up. Looking it up. I, I think we need to retract mocking Chris. Um, <laughs> I, a, the picture does look like a spork. It's the spoon, and but it has the, the pointy. It is totally yeah. a spork. Uh, all right, I'll take the point. As you said, yeah, right answer for the wrong reason. <laughs> yep. uh, written here, part of the poem, very handy for dining on mints and pieces of quince. <laughs> um, so runcible is a nonsense word invented by Edward Lear. Uh, <laughs> he wishes he came up with spork. It is. It's a better nonsense. A spork. Well, I'm, some of the pictures I'm seeing have serrated edges, so it's a s- s- spork, spork guy. Knife. Spork knife. It's like all three in one. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Doesn't really roll off the tongue as well as runcible. No. <laughs> all right. Green word for science. What is the only planet whose name is not derived from Greek or Roman mythology? Uh, Everybody. Earth. 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 Good job. Now, I can see people getting that wrong because they don't think about the Earth. Do they think about all the other planets? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. Orange Wedge. Mm -hmm. You guys got to wait until I finish the question. (laughs) All right. Okay. Just as a disclaimer. In what educational computer game mm-hmm. do players try to avoid dysentery while traveling <laughs> in a covered wagon halfway across the United States? Everybody! Oregon, Oregon Trail. Trail. Zelda. <laughs> Good job, brains. Let's jump into this week's topic. We are sweating right now in our recording studio, a.k.a. Collins apartment. This weekend has been very, very hot in Northern California, and I, I believe... Actually, yesterday, a couple records were yeah, broken yeah. for the hottest day for a lot of the different cities. So we thought to commemorate summer and summertime and summer heat, this episode is all about fun in the sun. Yay!
And of course, uh, we mean no slight to our friends in Australia or New Zealand, where it's not actually hot right now. No. <laughs> yes. Well, it's know. probably temperate-ish. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not summer for them. Yes. Yeah, yes. It this, is not this is for our Northern Hemisphere listeners. Yeah. And you know what? You can still eat ice cream, even if it's not technically hot out where you Ooh, are. Oh, the best summer yeah. food. So we made ice cream uh, yesterday. Turns Ooh. out, making ice cream these days, pretty easy. What flavor did you make? Patriotic. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> that is, um, that's vanilla ice cream with red and blue M&Ms. Oh. Uh, with a light dusting of eagle. Yeah, it was just eagle flavor. Eagle, eagle beak. And powdered. Patriot tears. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. Um, as it turns out, kind of easy to make ice cream nowadays. You buy an ice cream maker, put milk, <laughs> milk sugar, and cream into it, and turn it on. Put, press a button. <laughs> press a button. Wasn't always the case. So I wanted to um, do some research on the ice cream cone because mm-hmm. we've all heard the the famous story, right, of like it was invented at a World's Fair yeah, and the ice cream maker ran out of cups, cups to serve the ice cream in and he looked over to the stall next to him where his friend was selling waffles and he's and in a fit of inspiration was give me your waffles and i will roll them into a cone yeah i feel no, like i feel not. like i'm about to be very disappointed yeah. that, that is the story or that is the the quote fact right that is printed everywhere yes um and that is somewhat true okay i will say somewhat true the thing is while we have a lot of records of frozen ice dessert sweets being served to kings of course we don't really know if they were just that that same recipe of of ice cream that we have for sure there's a cookbook that was published in 1733 called Mrs. Mary Eels's receipts, and she was credited as having been the confectioner to Queen Anne. And she does oh. describe in this book the process of making ice cream, the okay. way you can still make it today. By, you know, 1733-ish, they definitely knew what to do. George Washington is said to have spent on ice cream in the year 1790 alone. That's a lot of money. That's in $1790. That's a lot today to spend on ice cream to the tune of about Probably about $5,000 today is what he blew on ice cream. Because remember, (laughs) long time Good Job Brain listeners may remember uh, something that Colin talked about before, which is the birth of the ice industry. If you lived in an area where you could just go to a frozen lake and cut out a block of ice or, you know, snow or whatever, Mm -hmm. you could make frozen desserts. But if you didn't, there was, you couldn't plug your refrigerator in because there's no refrigerator. Like, how do you make ice? You don't. And it was only once people started innovating in terms of shipping ice all around, you could start having like ice cream as a summer treat. And by the mid 1800s, that's when you could start walking out of the streets of England or America and buying ice cream from street vendors because they could actually make it and the common people could afford it, not right. just Kings or George Washington <laughs> blowing 200 bills with his face printed on it. <laughs> Please <laughs> do not write in and let me know that <laughs> he wasn't done the dollar when he was spending the dollars. <laughs> so here is how you would buy and eat ice cream in England in the mid-19th century. And I find this fascinating absolutely fascinating it was called a penny lick a penny lick mm. and that's what they would sell you on the streets yeah it's it's not as gross as it sounds like, but it's it close give me, give me a penny and you can have a lick of my ice cream <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might have actually been more sanitary so it, what they give you was a they, they would make these custom tallish medium height glasses that looked like you know little miniature 
ice cream sundae glasses. Uh-huh. Most of the glass was filled in with glass. Like, there was only a shallow indentation oh at the God. top okay. of the glass. Mm. And you would buy it from a street vendor, a glass with, like, it would be like a third of a scoop of ice cream would fit in there. Sure. And then you would just eat it out of the glass. You just stick your tongue in the glass and lick all the ice cream out of it. Mm. Uh-huh. And it was oh, a no shallow spoon. indentation, no spoons. Okay. And that then cone like. No, that's fine. It's very cone like. It's the cone was made out of glass. And then you would hand it back to the vendor who would of course then sanitize it. By sanitize I mean he would wipe it off on whatever filthy rag was handy <laughs> and then fill it up again with ice cream and give yeah. it to the next person. Wow. And this was super, super gross. And <laughs> and people recognize this too. Here is a quote that I found yeah. from the archives of, of the British Parliament in which Parliament member Sir Herbert Maxwell in 1898 said, <clears throat> I beg to ask the president of the local government board whether his attention has been drawn to recent deaths of children owing, oh. as is alleged, to their having eaten so-called, quote-unquote, ice creams sold by Italians in the streets, oh. whether he is aware that several samples of these creams have been reported on by Dr. Klein to the effect that all of them were swarming with colonies of the bacilli oh. characteristic either of sewage matter or putrescence Dude. or both. I mean, this was unpasteurized dairy products yeah. that they, in the hot sun, children with their filthy mouths would lick them and then he'd be like, you know, oh, good, and then give it to the next child. So you're making out with not only the ice cream, but with everybody else who made oh. out with that ice cream. Uh, they banned them in 1926. Wow. Now, it took a long time for it, them to ban them. It was a long time. It was yeah. a long time and it was well after the invention of the edible ice cream cone. What we largely saw after that were paper, metal, or glass cups that the ice cream was served in. So everybody in their great Aunt Tilly claims to have been the guy who invented the ice cream cone at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. We have George Bang, owner of the Banner Creamery, said that he was there. He sold ice cream and ran out of cups and was like, <gasps> you know, he ordered some waffles from the another vendor and he did it. Ernest A. Hamwi, a Syrian immigrant who made waffles, <laughs> says that he saw his friend who made ice, ice cream, cream and who was just like running around like a chicken with his head cut off, didn't know what to do. And he, the waffle maker, came up with the idea of rolling his oh, own snap. waffles into a cone okay. and giving it to the ice cream guy. And then we have... Abe Dumar, also a Syrian immigrant, coincidentally, made not waffles, but ice cream. And he says that he purchased the waffle from a separate vendor and he rolled the cone after he got the waffle from the vendor. Here's the thing. The St. Louis Expo ran. It was not a weekend thing. It wasn't like, oh, Saturday and Sunday. No, it, it ran for seven months. Right, right. Plenty of time for, for like somebody to come up with the idea. Sure. And then for everybody to copy each other, we'll never really know who had the spark of inspiration first. But people have pointed out that it kind of makes sense because the guys who were from Syria would have been really used to, like, eating falafel sandwiches by taking a round bread Mm. and rolling it. it. Yeah, rolling it and putting falafel into the open end. Ice cream cone kind of made sense at that point to them. But it depends on what kind of waffles they were making. If you're making... They're making thin... Yeah. Okay, like Stroop waffle. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think they are. They're like the Stroop waffle. Yeah. 
fluffy. Not fluffy no. Eggos. Belgian no. waffles. That's like the hardest thing to roll over. <laughs> no, they're yes. thin yeah. and yeah, they're not <laughs> giant mess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> like a it's all hot and it's all melting. You're like, ah, oh, the worst idea ever. Not only, I mean, is the waffle cone delicious and it's like a a, a portable thing, but it's mm-hmm. also sanitary versus like the glass. The it probably glass the waffle glass. cone probably saved a lot of lives. <laughs> it probably did. Yeah, it probably. Did. So many yeah. children. Saved oh. are alive today. Well, I mean, they're they're dead now. They're dead now. They would have lived longer, but they live. Yeah. <laughs> it's bittersweet. All right, so I can't think about summer. Every time I think about summer, I always think of summer jams, Ooh. like the music, the soundtrack of the summer. Mm-hmm. And so I made a quiz for you guys about summer summertime music, summer jams, summer jams. So all of these songs are huge hits. You would know this song if you heard it. So I'm not going to play the song for you. <laughs> I'm going to read the first few lyrics of the song, and you have to tell me what song it is and who oh. sang it. Right. Okay. You're going to buzz in. Right. Wait till I am done okay. reading the lyrics okay. before you buzz in. All right. First one. In the summertime when the weather is high, you can stretch right up and touch the sky. When the weather's right, you got women, you got women on your mind. <laughs> I know the song. I don't know I the song. think that's In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry. Yes. Oh, okay. In the summertime. Yes. Yeah. Man, we've had this one at Pub Quiz before, and sometimes we even get it right. All right. Here it is, the groove slightly transformed, just a little bit of a break from the norm, just a little something to break monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be... Karen. Summertime by Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. No, I no. think he was solo. I think he was solo at that point. Nope. Oh, you guys what? are close, but you're wrong. Summer, oh. summer, summer. I thought it was Will Smith. Yeah, it is. Yeah. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Oh. His name was not Will Smith at that time. He was not performing under the name Will Smith. His name was Fresh Prince. He got second billing. So DJ DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That's the yeah. name of their group. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. Even the album, right? He's the DJ. I'm the rapper. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> Riding in the drop top with the top down. Saw you switching lanes, girl. Pull up to the red light, looking right. Come here, let me get your name, girl. Oh, my God. What is it? <laughs> this is the Beatles. No. <laughs> Karen, Riding you would know. Top. He wants your name, girl. Karen's grappling. Uh, She's <laughs> <laughs> turning red. I can't. It's Summer Love by Justin Timberlake. Yes! Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> Hot summer streets and the pavements are burning. I sit around trying to smile, but the air is so heavy and dry. Oh. Yeah. It's is it uh, summer in the city? Nope. Mm. Hot summer streets and the pavements are burning. I sit around trying to smile, but the air is so heavy and dry. It is "Cruel Summer" by Banana. <gasps> If you'd have played that, yeah. If you'd have played that, that is why I did that. not play it. These yeah. are all like, yeah, right. Oh, that's good. Okay, it was 1989. My thoughts were short. My hair was long. Caught somewhere between a boy and a man. She was 17, and she was far from in between. It was summertime in northern Michigan. Oh. That's specific. Northern. Who's from Michigan? Oh, is uh, is it like Kid Rock? Am I? Yes, it's oh, Kid Rock. Yeah, I'm like, oh, from Detroit. All summer long. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good teamwork. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, good uh, good team up on that one. All right. See the curtains hanging in the window in the evening on a Friday night. Little light is shining through the window. Let's me know everything's all right. 
Chris. This is Summer Breeze. Yes. But I do not know the, the oh, artist, unfortunately. Uh, I think that's uh, Seals and Cross. Yes. Oh, hey, all right. Ooh, good teamwork. Very 70s. Highly. Right. Picturing sea lions lying around singing, Summer Seals Breeze and Cross. makes me feel fine. That's so cute. Blowing <laughs> the jasmine in my mind. I can see their little seal mouths. Yeah, point. right. It would be a funny music video, like them barking to that. <laughs> Last one. Hot town, summer in the city. Hey! <laughs> Back of my neck getting dirty and gritty. Been down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. Well, I think we know the song. <laughs> I know. <laughs> ah, man. So, Summer in the City. Yes. Who? I can't retrieve it. It is Love and Spoonful. Mm. Huh. What's a good mnemonic for that? Oh, I don't know. Just a spoonful of grit on the yeah. back of your neck. Gross. <laughs> oh, that is you gross. Won't forget now. I guess now I'll never forget no. that. All right. Good job, you guys. So not only are there a slew of summer hits that come around every year and try and stake their claim, but of course there are summer blockbuster movies, which I think we kind of just take for granted at this point, you know, that mm-hmm. every summer there's yep. some huge hit, some big blockbuster. I mean, and it's, think of Independence Day or yeah. Armageddon Welcome or... Welcome to Earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a quick question. Yes. I would assume... Squirrel. Oh, <laughs> there's a squirrel outside. So for movies, there's summer blockbuster and there's right. also holiday releases. That's I wonder true. which nets the most amount of money. It's complicated, but generally speaking, the summer movies net more. But it's not an accident. And so we'll, we'll come back to that point in a okay, second. I'm glad okay. you asked that, though. So so first of all, let's, let's back up. I mean, do you guys know what the original meaning of the word blockbuster is? Like, it's non-metaphorical meaning mm. in terms of, like, big entertainment. Do you know where it comes from? Originally, a blockbuster was a bomb. A giant bomb. Uh, so going back to like World like War Two, yeah, kaboom, yeah, yeah. Movie military, plot bomb. right, 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 right. right. Uh, although it is funny that uh, you, a, a box office flop is a bomb and a huge success is a blockbuster. Hey, yeah. um, but no, I mean in World War Two, a blockbuster would be a giant bomb that would bust a block if you were kind doing sad, aerial huh? bombing raids. Yeah, hmm. yeah. But I mean, you can see how it sort of transitioned from there to just mean anything that was a, a big hit or a big success. So I want to go back with you guys to the summer of 1975. Oh, and okay. uh, we've had this... We were we've, not... Uh, a, we we were didn't not exist yes, at that point. Yes, <laughs> I, I have very uh, dim memories of 1975 <laughs> myself. Do you guys know what far and away the biggest hit of 1975 was in terms of cinema? Jaws! Yes, oh, Jaws. Okay. I, I've only heard that, that Jaws was the first summertime blockbuster movie. You are absolutely okay. right. You're, mm-hmm. you're totally right. That really kind of put that concept in studio execs' minds of like, oh, wait a minute, this can actually be a really profitable way to structure our movies. And so let's back up. I mean, prior to the 70s, you know, movies would be released generally throughout the year. They'd be released when they were done. (laughs) You're right, Karen, that there was a little bit of a bias toward holiday releases for movies that uh, studios wanted to perform really well. For obvious reasons, people are on vacation, it's family movies, people are home. It's A way to be with your family but not talk to your family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love my family. They listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really hard to overstate how big of a smash hit jaws was at the time it was just a sensation as well as being at the time the highest grossing movie of all time so now let me just put this in perspective all right so from 1915 until 1975 there had only been four movies that could hold the title of highest grossing film of all time gone with the wind gone with the wind is one 
Godfather? No. Godfather, yes. Godfather. Yes. Uh, I'll give you the other two. Birth of a Nation. Oh, you know, oh right, yeah. And uh, The Sound of Music. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's a span of 60 years there, with only four movies taking the title. Hmm. So Godfather took over the title of highest grossing film of all time in 1972. That movie was released in March. Opened fairly normal. It opened in five theaters, which was pretty common practice at the time. You would open, we talk about a movie opening wide across everywhere versus opening small. Select cities. And at the time, that was sort of the general practice for movies. Mm -hmm. You know, even prestige films or movies that the studios really had a lot of faith in. You know, you would open in a few premieres, you know, New York, maybe LA, whatever. And then you would gradually expand Mm -hmm. as word of mouth went out or whatever. Um, Up until Jaws came out, in fact, movies opening wide was kind of considered a bad thing. You know, you would as a studio you would open a movie wide meaning in many theaters if you thought it was maybe a stinker or yeah. wasn't gonna last oh, and the idea is you're like let's make as much money as we can before wow. people start telling each other gets out. Uh, right yep. that's okay. right yep. as opposed to slowly building that's so weird jaws changed the rules in more ways than one. First of all, it opened in over 450 theaters. Which at was once. At <laughs> once, on the first mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, which was just, for a movie that the studios expected to be a hit, they just didn't do that at that time. Mm. It had unprecedented amounts of money put into advertising, advanced right. advertising, yeah. close to $700,000 just on TV spots alone. Like, you could not watch TV um. in the days, weeks leading up to Jaws without seeing at least a couple Jaws commercials. They would send the producers around to do interviews ahead of time. Oh. So now here's the other thing, too. So the, the movie was actually optioned from a book uh, by Robert Benchley. Yeah. The, the movie and the book were sort of coming out at the same time, and they really developed them together even down to the level of the movie poster being intentionally designed to look like the book cover. Here's this book that's going to be a huge hit leading into our movie that's going to be a huge hit. Oh, that's hit. funny. I've seen the book cover before and I thought it was like, oh, we're trying to tie it in. To it the used movie. to have a different cover at some point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. The phenomenon now where if they, uh, a book gets turned into a movie, they'll change the cover, as yeah. you say. Yeah. In addition to the advanced marketing blitz, the other thing that really changed... Hold on. Did no other movie spend that much money in promotion or no. hyping it up? No. Not in terms of advanced promotion. What made Jaws special that the studio decided to pump so much money in the hype. It was a really exciting book, first of all. I mean, if you guys haven't read the book, it's a a pretty exciting book. It's a little different from the movie in in a lot of respects, but it's it's a thriller, you know? And for better or for worse, they felt they were onto something. Now, I should say that if the movie had flopped, we would be talking about what a stupid idea it was to spend all this advanced marketing. I can't believe they spent so much money yet. Right. But now, I mean, it's just all the things you're talking about. I mean, you know, the, you know, setting the producers out for interviews prior to the movie coming out and and it's commonplace and spending tons and tons of money on advertising. Yeah. Because Jaws sent the template. Yes. Here's here's another one. Advanced merchandise. Whoa. When the movie came out, they they already, oh, uh, uh, the list goes on and on. Beach towels, t-shirts, toy sharks, games for kids. And it was already available in stores. They had it in the pipelines and ready to go. They were so, they had such a good feeling the movie was going to be a hit that they wanted to capitalize as much as possible. And Mm. this too is another change in, in thinking of studios is the movie isn't just the the movie, or maybe the movie in the book, the movie is the movie and the merchandise and the toys for your kids and everything. So Jaws opened in June. 1975, mm-hmm. very quickly recouped its investment 
made a household name out of Steven Spielberg. Who, yeah. He was only 26 at the time, oh, he, wow. at the time he started filming this. And he had a couple movies under his belt, but this is what made Steven Spielberg Steven Spielberg and able to do whatever he wanted, essentially. Nice. You know, the summer had really kind of not been a special time for movies up until that point, but it became an obvious money-making machine that all the studios very quickly wanted to copy this formula. And the formula became, instead of several smaller movies throughout the year, you muster your giant budget all out tentpole title that comes out by July 4th and that carries you through the rest of the year and to some extent can subsidize some of the other movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's it's pretty rare for the same studio to have more than one summer blockbuster because they don't mm. want to cannibalize tickets. Yeah. But let's just go back to the highest grossing films of all time. As I said, there were four different films from 1950 to 1972. Godfather set the highest grossing record at 72. Jaws then claimed the record for highest grossing film of all time. Two years later, Star Wars took it over for mm-hmm. highest grossing film of all time. A New Hope. That's right. Also a summer opening. Five years later, E.T. took it over as highest grossing film of all time. So it became really clear to the studios that if you put a lot of money and advanced marketing and merchandising and tie-in, mm. this yeah. can be a formula for success. Yep. Keyword mm. can be. Can be. That's Keyword right. Can, can be. be. All right. Let's take a quick break. A word from our sponsor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So my fun in the sun segment kind of is related, but we'll get there. Chris, you grew up in Connecticut. Yes. Dan, Colin, you guys grew up in California. I grew up in Taiwan, but I'm sure we all shared the same childhood experience of drinking fish juice, (laughs) (laughs) drinking this item. I know it by its Chinese name. It's a brand name. And it literally translates to happy thoughts ice or happy <laughs> memories ice oh. and in mandarin chinese it's called slubbing <laughs> which means happy memory ice huh. and of course you guys know it as slurpee, slurpee. Huh. yes the 7-eleven slurpee what a treat what and- a gift from the gods themselves <laughs> it, it's weird to think that it's so simple it's a cup with frozen water and chemicals <laughs> and it has become an icon in promotion mm. and marketing and making money and for just consumer culture it was invented by Omar Nedlik in the late 1950s Omar managed a Dairy Queen which is like kind of like okay. an ice cream shop one day his soda fountain broke down what he had to do was just put all his sodas in the freezer to keep them cold ah. and of course Sodas Uh, don't freeze, though. They become like a slushy-like sludge. Mm. (laughs) Delicious sludge. (laughs) People fell in love with it. 
And that's the big thing when we're comparing icy drinks and uh, smoothies or whatever. The main thing that sets Slurpees apart is that it is carbonated. Mm. And a lot of people don't really oh, realize. Really? That's yeah. right. That's right. Didn't know that. When you drink that, you, you feel the fizz on your tongue. Uh, I mean, you go to Jamba uh, Juice, it just tastes like, you know, whipped up ice mm, and juice. Mm. But there is carbonation. So this guy decided to make a machine to make slushy sodas. And he named his company... The Icy Company. <gasps> I-C-E-E. Yes, that same Icy you're thinking of. Oh, okay. my God. The Icy Company with I the, thought they were the mortal competitors. Yeah. They're red and blue with the yeah. logo, with the little Icy logo yeah. and a polar bear. Little polar mm-hmm. bear, yeah. yeah. So that originally, Icy Company was, he wanted to call it Scold as Ice, all in one word. <laughs> wow. Scold as Ice? Scold as Scold Ice. Scold as Ice. Okay. So, mortal enemies, you say. Yeah. In 1965, 7-Eleven began a licensing deal with Icy mm. to sell the product in their stores, in okay. 7-Eleven stores, under certain conditions. 7-Eleven must use a different name for okay. the product. Mm. And okay. There's no place where 7-Eleven's product will compete or be on the same shelf or be in the same area mm-hmm. as the icy hmm. okay. slushy. That, that was in 1965. They struck this deal. In 1967, they released Slurpee. Not necessarily mortal enemies. Mm-hmm. Same company that basically it's makes crazy. the slushy. So they're just, they're, it's kind they're... of like a white label for their... <laughs> yeah. yeah. You go to movie theaters and, or, or amusement parks and you have icy, you know, yeah. the, the blue and the red flavors and then... So it's all a conspiracy. Is all one wise? This is why there's been no improvement (laughs) in the slushy slushy technology. Oh, we're competing with each other. No. 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 (laughs) So Slurpee debuted in the late 1960s. From then on, this little cup of ice just is a money-making machine. Yeah. It's weird to think that, well, A, it's delicious. B... It's cheap enough where people of all ages can go to their local 7-Eleven right. and, and slurp it up. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> they even invented the straw. I was just going to ask oh, you. I was just going to yeah, ask, the like, the, the, the straw with the spoon end, the yeah, shovel yeah. end? That is a Slurpee. That's oh. straw. Yeah, they made it for Slurpees. The Slurpee and its crazy marketing career first got its start in 1970, where Slurpees were so popular that 7-Eleven stores released a 45, a, a record huh. of a song titled Dance the Slurp. <laughs> and it was given away for free yeah. Yeah. of Slurpee totally. purchases. And like it was catchy. They played it on the radio. It really? was a big hit. And basically the song is just like kind of like dance music with the sound of someone sucking Slurpee. Oh, no. No, thanks. No. Okay. No, thanks. Hold on. I, would... I actually have it. Oh, Let's man. play a clip this, of it. This would send me into a violent rage. Uh-oh. <laughs> Why? I hate that sound. I agree. Oh, I hate, really? I hate yeah. the sound of people chewing and or slurping things. Why do I know that? That sounds so familiar. Was that? That was remixed uh, in a DJ Shadow album. Oh, yes. Yep. That's what it is. It was a sample. Yes. But this is the original that's version great. from 1970. Hand it out oh. on Hand records in 7-Eleven. Do the slurp. So in addition to the record, 7-Eleven was like, hey, 
kids really love this stuff. How do we make kids buy more <laughs> of this stuff? I know. We'll sell special cups. Oh, Commemorative cups that people can collect in a series. This is in the 1970s. Now, when we think of Slurpees, we think of a lot of movie tie-ins or whatever. It's always kind of coupled with something. This is back in the 1970s. They already started doing this. So with rock bands, with comic book characters, with cartoons, with video games. There's a whole 1983 video game series Oh, cups. right. Yep. Galaga, Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. And the kids just kept coming back to get the entire collection. And then later, then that's when they started releasing special limited edition flavors mm. that started accompanying the cup. And now it's like a package. You know how you talked about the summer blockbuster movie and merchandise. This is flavor plus cup. Plus whatever they're trying to promote. A, a tradition dating back from 1970 to today. Here's a, God, a mind-boggling example. 7-Eleven in 2010, and this was on the Motley Fool business mm-hmm. money show. So there was a special flavor released for SpongeBob SquarePants. It was called Under the Sea Pineapple. They made so much money just from uh... SpongeBob Slurpees that it's it's amazing. Who makes all these Slurpee flavors? The Dr. Pepper Snapple Lab. They're the flavor chemists that come up with all the Slurpee flavors. Oh, okay. And so they have to test it. They have engineers. They have scientists to come up with new ones. They have to stay ahead of the flavor trend. And this is not just Slurpee. This is for, like, all foods. Yeah. And this is so interesting. So, of course... They're trying to test for new things, exotic flavors that people haven't really tried or or don't know yet. But at the same time, they have to be careful. So there's new and exotic fruits like today, like acai or lychee or dragon fruit, Mm -hmm. blood orange, black currant. Star fruit. Yeah. Yeah. This is what flavor chemists do. They always couple it with a normal fruit. Uh So that it makes the consumer feel a little bit more safe, but like also kind of like, oh, I'll try cherry aside. It's like, I know cherry. I've heard of cherry. (laughs) I also want to be adventurous. So I'm sure this rule applies to not just Slurpees, but like, remember when Snapple's strawberry kiwi came out? Like, Mm -hmm. no, I don't think a lot of people knew what kiwi tasted like, but the strawberry was kind Mm -hmm. of the... I do. Yeah. You see see that in gums and things too. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. You're Mm -hmm. right. So all this said, there is a 7-Eleven day, an official 7-Eleven celebration day. Of course, on July the 11th, if you go to your local 7-Eleven on this day, between the hours of 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., you can get a free small Slurpee. Oh. Well, it's coming up. Yep, that's coming up. Mark your calendars. Slurpee even has their own website. It's not even 7-Eleven's website. It's slurpee.com. And they have like a guy in golden shorts who's doing dance videos and he wants you to, <laughs> to go Is he doing the slurp? It's random. There's like unicorns and, and lasers and there's uh, like a, a uh, motivational okay. chinchilla on the website. Okay. It's so it's the internet basically. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. No, I get it. Uh, so go check that out. We're not sponsored by Silver 11 nor Slurpee no. nor the Icy Company. No. We're talking about possibly setting up a slip and slide in our backyard for a, a 4th of July party. But now I'm not so sure, having read a little bit more about slip and slides and who should use them and who should not. I don't really know what it is. What it is. What? Let me tell you all about it. Yeah. Um, so it all goes back to one like uh, hot slide. summer day in the 1960s. Yeah. yeah, basically, sort of, but not really. Okay. Um, so imagine that you're in Lakewood, California in the 1960s and uh, sure. that you are a guy named Robert Carrier. <laughs> oh, and wow. he is an upholsterer. And one uh, hot 
summer day, he saw that his uh, 10-year-old son and his friend had taken the garden hose mm-hmm. and had taken the garden hose and put it at the top of their house's uh, massive painted driveway. And that these foolish children were now, they run from the garage and then dive onto the cement of the of oh, the, of the painted oh cement <laughs> and slide down the driveway. <laughs> and um, at that point, Robert Carrier did not think, I've got the next million dollar idea. He thought, how can I stop my children f- from breaking their necks? Right. Yeah. Uh, how can I make this activity, because they're just going to keep doing this, uh, more safe? Being an upholsterer, he had access to things that the average human being did not, such yes. as... 50 foot rolls of naga hide <laughs> that he could just take home with him. It's a it's a synthetic fabric. Okay. It's like it's a fabric that has plastic or vinyl on top of it. And so he brought back a huge roll of it and he put that on the driveway and he said, "Okay, kids, at least slide down this fabric so you're not potentially going to scrape yourself up on concrete." So then he thought, "Okay, well what if this long strip of naga hide had a tube on the on the side of it sewn to the side of it that you could connect the hose to?" So now water could run down the tube. Oh, the whole And you poke holes. Yeah, you poke holes in the tube. And so now it's sprinkling the whole piece of naga hide all the way from the top to the bottom. Because so the it hose stays, is So it stays down. wet. So the whole thing stays wet and uniformly. <laughs> now he knew he had a cool summer toy. Because now he had something patentable. It wasn't just a piece of fabric with water running down it. Because it had this, this sort of tube apparatus and the sprinklers. So he filed a patent in the year 1960. And uh, by the next year, he had sold it to Whammo, makers Whoa. of childhood plastic toys. Uh, uh, and it was on shelves as the slip and slide by the summer of 1961. It wow. was the hot toy that year. And that is pretty much it. It was pretty much just a guy going, <laughs> I like, I think I'll invent the slip and slide today. The Consumer Product Safety Commission says that the slip and slide should be used uh, by children, not teenagers, not adults. The two markets for slip and slide, as we know, are one, small children, to Drunk intoxicated college. adults, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and and it, that that latter group probably shouldn't be doing this because you're no. too tall and heavy, and well, your momentum you're is you're too much. you're yeah. throwing yourself into the ground and you're slamming into the ground. And these thin plastic of the slip and slide is not going to break your fall, <laughs> and it's not going to you're not just going to start sliding along. You might compress your spinal cord right. because like, right. because your body is moving forward, but then your head stops and your body keeps keeps going like you really you really don't want to do that stopper at the end um yeah so they now have slip and slides that have pools at the end Uh, which collect the water and stop you is it fun it is totally fun. Oh, it is so much fun. Super fun. fun until you're bleeding, and then you're just like, (laughs) yeah. "Ah." But but what isn't, really? It's true. It's true. Everything. (laughs) Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, when you think of summer, what what fruit comes to mind instantaneously? Watermelon. Watermelon. Of course. Watermelon. Yes. The fruit of the summer. Although you can get it all year round, for some reason it Mm -hmm. is a summer fruit. True or false, a watermelon is a fruit. Mm. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, Well, you can buzz in. I'll say true. I, I say I say false. It is part of, okay, no, no, no. Because I remember one state, I think Ohio, Oklahoma, it's their state vegetable because watermelon is in the same family as cucumbers, but technically cucumbers 
are not vegetables, they're fruit. So they're fruit. It is both a fruit and a vegetable. Depends uh, on what? <laughs> really? A trick question. So um, if you're talking botanically, it's defined as a fruit because it's the a large ovum of a f- whatever comes from a flower. There's all sorts of reasons. But then it's also a vegetable because it's in the same family as a cucumber and a pumpkin and a squash. They're huh. all cousins to each other. They're related. And those terms are a little fuzzy as yeah, well. They are. Yeah, they're more culinary than biological, I think. So I have two stories for you guys. This is the folk story. <laughs> in the Balkans, if you didn't take care of your watermelon right away, if you didn't cut it up and eat it right away, it would get these red spots on it. And this might happen to pumpkins too. And the red spots mean that they have become vampires. You've left them out at night. And if you leave out inanimate <laughs> objects at night, sometimes they become vampires. And then they roll around <laughs> and attack people. <laughs> and this is, I saw this huh. on Wikipedia. I was like, what? And then I was Googling around. And it's it's kind of a controversial folktale, yeah. actually. Apparently, so Terry Pratchett wrote about vampire water, watermelons in one of his stories. And so people were saying, oh, Wikipedia is being exploited by people who are Terry Pratchett fans. And they're just putting uh, putting it on there and pretending it's real. Uh, this ethnographer in the 50s published a study where he'd collected all sorts of folktales from the nomadic Roma peoples in the Balkans. They're, they roll around and they make a noise and it looked, it was like B-R-R-L. And I was like, Brr? like what, what is the noise that these vampiric watermelons are making as they roll after you in the night? Um, I'm so perplexed by this story. <laughs> I know. I know. I, <laughs> so that's one story. Now this one is totally true, but is also crazy. There, there is a thing. <laughs> There is a thing called watermelon snow, and it is pink snow that you find in the um, California Sierra Nevada area, and it smells like watermelons. What? I know. <laughs> what? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? So it took people have known about this for hundreds of years, and they did not know where it came from. They were like, they would bring it back with them in bottles, and it would turn yeah. bright red, and they're like, it's. Magic? It's it's from the iron in the mountains? We don't know. Hmm. And apparently there's a type of algae that thrives in cold weather. Uh, and so when it's really cold, it's hibernating. It hibernates. And then when it warms up over summer, it starts to blossom and it becomes red in, in the snow. And so, and it smells like watermelons. <laughs> it smells like watermelons. But you should not eat this algae. Oh, <laughs> you should not right, eat right. it because it has a laxative effect. Huh. And, or you, or you so, could eat it if you wanted to. I, I think it's painful laxative. Like, oh, no. like you will get... <laughs> not, not gentle release. Oh, you not... Tenacious diarrhea. Oh, okay. Okay. I just Google image search watermelon stove. It is. It's pink. Wow. I, I thought it was crazy that it even smelled like watermelons. Yeah. It's mm, not just yeah. pink. It also smells sweet and fruity and kind of fresh hmm. i admit i want and to try it, it yeah it's trying to trick you <laughs> the lesson as always <laughs> nature is out, out to, to get, get you, you. <laughs> yes. man nature nature is weird <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of my favorite things about summer is the nice long summer days Me and too. long summer nights. Mm. Yes. It's daylight so late. And of course, well, 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 well. <laughs> tell me more. Tell oh me more. God. I will, in fact, tell you more, oh, Karen. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, you know, the long days and long nights are even amplified by the fact that we are in daylight saving time. Let me ask you guys a question. Why do we have daylight saving time? 
I will answer my own question. <laughs> Hold on, I have a guess. Okay, I guess. okay, okay. I have a guess. They set up daylight savings time so that the farmers had more sunlight for their plants. But the plants would always get the same amount of sunlight. Right, right. Well, it was more for the people. Working for the people. On the field, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, working with the plants. In fact, farmers as a group are one of the most opposed to daylight saving really? time out of various groups. Interesting. Yes, huh. and we'll get to this in a second. Huh. So, very quickly, a little bit of science here. The days are longer in the summer, mainly to do with the tilt of the earth axis, okay? We have more hours of daylight over summer than we do have hours of daylight over winter. Okay. True. True, yes. Not everywhere on the planet, of course. If you're at the equator, your days are 12 hours sunlight, 12 hours dark. This is one reason why most equatorial countries don't have daylight saving time. They have no need, no need. for it. That's mm. right. Mm. So there, there really is no clear answer to what the reason for daylight saving time is, but we can all agree on what it does. What it does is, because the days are longer, it shifts an hour of time from the mornings when many people are asleep. It shifts that hour of time toward the end of the day. That much we can all agree on. Now, the reason why we decided to do this as a culture, it's it's muddled. The answer that a lot of people give today for why we have daylight saving time in summer is, well, it saves energy. Meaning that oh. if we can get people to use less electricity at night, that will save energy. Another reason is simply just to encourage later activity. If we move that extra hour of daylight to the end of the day, people can go out and do things and do more. So when, when did it start, though? It was proposed as far back as the time of... Benjamin Franklin. No way. Yes, he no is way, he is by most accounts considered to be the first person to really go on record with the idea of shifting our days. That in the summertime we have so much more daylight, we need to be more productive with it. There's of course the famous quote attributed Benjamin Franklin, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise or or woman as well. And his original motivation for proposing an idea of shifting time was Essentially, he thought people were being kind of lazy. So while he was an envoy to France, you know, he noticed that a lot of people during the summer weren't getting up until 11 or 12 and then staying up super late carousing at night. And in Benjamin Franklin's mind, he's like, this is really inefficient. He's like, we have all these hours of daylight at the beginning of the day that you people are sleeping. And then late at night, we're <laughs> tongue in cheek. He said this, but it is true. We're burning candles and oil and using all these resources. So his, his proposal was essentially let's shift the day later in the summer. Um, For efficiency. Right, but not by actually changing clocks the way we do. His proposal was pretty simple. It was just get up earlier in the summer, guys. You know? <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's not that, yeah. And it really, he really did mean early to bed, early to rise. Yeah. Meaning rise when the sun comes up, yep. go to sleep when it's dark. Boo, Benjamin Franklin, boo. Yeah. <laughs> he, this never really went anywhere. It wasn't a serious proposal, but the idea is pretty good. In terms of the modern implementation of daylight saving, oh, and just as a quick aside here, mm. um, just so we avoid any letters coming in, there are people who are very, very uh, much sticklers about that. It's daylight saving, oh, no really? plural. Not savings? It is the oh. time that saves daylight, is the reasoning. Uh, there's another man named William Willett of London, and in the early 1900s, he really got it in his head that this is something that's good for society. The story goes that he was sort of inspired the same way that Benjamin Franklin was. He was out one day early, he was a very industrious, get up early with the sun kind of guy, and couldn't believe how many people were still in bed <laughs> asleep while it's bright out. Oh. 
Now, there's a, another the, another part of the story goes that uh, just let people sleep. <laughs> gosh, get out of my business! Come on, <laughs> he made a proposal Tired. to Parliament actually, and he pushed this for the next ten years until he died. Sadly, he never got to see it enacted in his time. Aww. So right around 1915-16, there was a uh, fairly major event uh, that's about to bubble up in the world called World War One, and this is really where it gets to people taking more seriously the idea of energy savings. Oh. Oh, okay. okay. So there's always been sort of the moral aspect of uh, get up early, you lazy, you know. Right. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until Germany in 1916, in an effort to uh, save coal and ration coal efforts, let's move time later in the day. People will use less coal. There's more available for the war effort. It worked really well. It did essentially what it tried to do. After the war was over, a lot of countries abandoned it. They're like, okay, well that's done. Let's we don't, we don't, ahead. we don't need to save the energy for the war effort anymore. And they reverted back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they brought it back again in World War II for the uh. same reason. Although this time there was a much bigger emphasis on uh, electricity. Going back to what I said at the top, the reason farmers don't like it is because farmers are like, you know, we're on the animal schedule. You know, it doesn't matter what schedule. time the clock says. Right. We, we get up when the rooster crows and we go to milk the cows yep. and we yeah. reap our crops. You're messing with our schedule because everyone that we have to interface now is messing with their time schedule. So there are a few really interesting, real and imagined controversies centered around daylight saving time that I found in the course of my research. So uh, when they first started proposing this as the law of the lands, you know, one of the arguments that people brought forth was, well, this could infect inheritance. Say I have twins and one of them is born... 10 minutes before the time change goes and then we set the clocks back an hour the other twin then comes out so technically on their birth certificate twin number two is listed as being older this could Uh, be a big deal in terms of inheritance rights and things like that there (laughs) is a story there is a story a verified story of a man who was able to defer his draft status for the army by saying no 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 I was born on this day due to daylight savings which meant that he was in a lottery for a different Different day. Oh, huh. There are some interesting stories about you know things that are rigidly time controlled, like trains, for instance. Yeah. Uh, so Amtrak. <laughs> this is really funny. When Amtrak in the middle of the changeover, they will stop the trains on the tracks. They just stop in their spot, wait an hour, and then resume. Uh, yes. No way. Yes. Yes. And that then and then resume their trip. All those people sitting the train have to sit there for an hour. Yeah. 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 Don't ride on a on a day that where the time changes. On the day when the crossover yeah. is. If you're on, an, I mean, uh, the other side of that is that it's at you know 2 a.m. So odds are you're going to be asleep. It is. That yeah. is so weird. <laughs> that is uh-huh. really weird. All right. So that's all for our summer fun in the sun talk. And I have one non-topic quiz. For all of you guys, it's going to be a quick little jaunty quiz. And this is actually inspired by listener fan uh, Pete. And he wanted to dedicate this quiz to his wife, Lucy, Lucy Molinero. We heard that Lucy really likes internet um, and animals. So that inspired me to write a internet computer company animal mascot quiz. <laughs> Very okay. specific and a little bit tough. I'm going to tell you. The animal mascot, and you tell me what company, internet company, or mm. computer company that that animal is the mascot for. Okay. Okay. So, for example, if I say a bird and a whale, you would say Twitter. 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 Yes. Okay. The bird and the fail whale. Here we go. It's going to go by quick. Red panda. 
Firefox. Correct. Firefox logo is actually not a fox. It is a red panda specifically. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. The sock puppet dog. <laughs> Chris. Pets.com. Pets.com. Voiced by. Oh. Gilbert Godfrey. No. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you guys know this. Dave yeah. Foley. Michael Ian Black. Oh, right. really? Huh. He was the voice of oh, the okay. sock puppet I was in the dog. area. All right. Blinged out cat. Oh, is that the Groupon cat? Yes. Groupon. <laughs> Groupon has a cat mascot. His name or its name is Groupon the Cat. Okay. And he wears a, a, a like. Wonder a, how he got that name. <laughs> a Groupon giant gold necklace. <laughs> huh. I like that cat. Pufferfish. Oh gosh, I buzzed in too soon. Uh, is that it? Wasn't Alta Vista or Lycos? No, <sighs> no. I was thinking of Babblefish. That's what I was thinking of. Never mind. Pufferfish. Mm. Talked about this on the show, but we talked about this site on the show before. Mm. For all you internet savvy people, Bitly. Bitly has a pufferfish. That's right. And I'm not sure why, but it's there. (laughs) Oh, maybe it's because I'm just totally winging it here. Maybe it's because they can expand. Like (gasps) maybe like like the URL shortening. Oh, yeah. Okay. Probably why. Let's go with that. that. If that's not it. It should be. You're gonna be like, oh, is it because it's poisonous (laughs) and people die? All right, American Bulldog. Dana Zynga. Yes, Zynga. Uh, It's actually named Zynga, Zynga, but spelled differently. Yeah, Z I N G A. Hmm. All right, Tux the Penguin. (laughs) Chris. Um, uh, Linux. Correct. Yeah. This one's more for the digital marketers out there. Freddy (laughs) the Ape. Freddy the Ape. Uh, well, is hmm. name of the company's right there. Is it Mailchimp? Yes, okay. Mailchimp. Okay. Mailchimp. Very, very cute. Kind of looks like Curious George. He he's really a little, cute. He's a little mailman. Hmm. All right. This is for all you nerds and geeks. Timmy the monkey. Yes. You know. Oh, oh. Uh, it's uh, Think Geek. Yes. Think uh, okay. Geek. Oh, okay. Retailer of cool nerdy stuff. Always Timmy's always dressed up in different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last one. Not technically an animal, but here we go. A red-eyed <laughs> alien. Oh. Is it Reddit? Yes, oh. Reddit. Ah. No name, just the alien, the Reddit ah. alien. Yeah. And yep. I looked at the, the guidelines for branding. His eyes or its eyes always have to be red. Huh. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot. There was a lot in the show from food <laughs> like watermelon, oh, vampire watermelon, ice cream cones, Slurpees, to summer jams, summer movies, to long summer days. And you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And join us on Twitter and Facebook. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Calling all trivia nerds. Brittany here. And I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) 
New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.